0: Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal
1: Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now, live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring ECU Baseball Hall of Famer Pat Watkins. The Pirate Radio Podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, the voice, Jeff Charles, will have a great discussion on Pat's career at East Carolina and what he's up to these days. So sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio Podcast presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer starts right now.
0: Thanks, Shirley. Today, a visit with ECU Hall of Famer Pat Watkins, the Raleigh native, was a standout performer on the diamond for the Pirates in the early 90s. In 1993, he was an All-American and was a first-round draft pick of the Cincinnati Reds, the 32nd player selected, and the only ECU player to be selected in the first round will relive his career at ECU and his professional baseball career, too. What a pleasure to visit one of the best ever to play for the Pirates, Pat Watkins. Pat, how you doing?
2: Jeff, I am doing great, and it is uh, awesome to hear your voice. I tell you, it's uh, it's one of those ones you always remember. Even when you just said hello to me, it it gave me
0: chills. (laughs) Well, you're very kind. I've been here a long time, as as you know. And, you know, Pat, it seems like it was just yesterday that, that you were playing here, and we were broadcasting the games, of course. But, my goodness, you turn the clock up now, and it's been 28 years ago since you finished up at ECU. You're now 48 years old. The time really flies, doesn't it?
2: It sure does, but uh, you know, some of the I look back on it, some of my favorite times I've ever spent. I mean, I went to college when I was seventeen years old, and uh, not a lot of people even know that. I turned eighteen uh, during the first uh, semester of my freshman year, and and so I literally and figuratively grew up in Greenville, North Carolina. So uh, couldn't be more thankful for that time.
0: So let's talk about growing up in Raleigh. Uh, Pat, do you remember the first time you picked up a baseball bat and a, and a ball and started playing baseball, and was it kind of love at first sight?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. first, got to correct you, so uh, I grew up in Garner, so all my Garner okay. people would, would jump on you. There, <laughs> there's a there's a railroad track, that we're on the other side of the track. Say, yep, uh, I know that. It's easier on the map to find Raleigh, but uh, growing up in Garner, there's uh, something special, and... And, yes, to answer your question, um, you know, we played everything. It was, uh, it was baseball in the spring. It was football in the fall basketball in the winter and swimming pool and whatever we could find in the summer. So uh, I, I grew up with a, a passion for sports. My mother was a public school teacher. Uh, she taught me it at Garner High School. My father was growing up was a basketball coach and um, at Fuquay Verena High School. And so I grew up really more of a, a, a gym rat. I was I wanted to play hoop, and uh, you know, just as I as I grew up, I actually really spent more time playing basketball than anything. Baseball was my my fun thing to do in the spring, and um, but most of my time was really spent on basketball.
0: You know, that brings up an interesting point, Pat, because so many kids today are just specializing in one sport. And as you mentioned, you played a lot of sports. Do you have any thoughts on that with kids today?
2: I have a son, and that would be a whole other segment for us to so probably deep, deep dive into a yeah. 16-year-old son and, a, and another son that, that, uh, that play. And, and um, you know, one of the things that I remember the professional scouts, when they came to see me play, one of the things that they'd always say was, is your athleticism. And you look different when you play baseball. And even all the way up through the minor leagues and the major leagues, I had lots of coaches comment on the fluidity of movement and uh, the way I make it look a little bit easier and I, I attribute every bit of that to the the fact that I played just multiple sports, multiple um, muscles groups that I've used, and and just the athletic ability that I was blessed with was one thing. But what I really grew up on playing uh, basketball and football specifically, in addition to baseball and even golf and tennis. I mean, we played we played it all, and uh, I, I really attribute that to the the really the fluidity of movement. And I think today's kids they. Honestly, I think it's really more the parents. I think the kids really like to play multiple sports. Um, that's why you see – I see it every week when my 16-year-old travel team goes and hits at the the batting cages and there's a basketball court. 100% of the players migrate to the basketball court at some point. They just—they you know, like to play multiple sports. I think the – if I'm going deep on it, I, I think the parents buy into the fact that these some of these programs are telling you that you can't be successful – if you don't commit to one sport early and i just i guess i'm the old school thought of man I, you know the best players in the world they take four or five months off you know i think about baseball specifically we, we we don't play the best players in the world take four or five months off we got kids you know 12 year olds that are playing more games than a than a major league baseball player yeah and, and um you know the repetitive motion of of your arm and wing you know just doing that over and over and over again that's what leads to the injury so i like to see him play off
0: i don't know how many people know this pat but you were an outstanding football player and from what we understand you were offered an opportunity to play football at duke is that right
2: yeah that that was right uh um Furrier recruited me and uh i probably would have been a, a duke football player if he would have not won the ac championship and got a job at uh, florida <laughs> So uh, he, he took the Florida role, which I was not equipped to go and play quarterback at. And uh, um, the other guy that came in after him and dude just didn't like me as much as one of the other quarterbacks. And, uh, and that was really the only place that I kind of felt um, led to play football just because of the academics. Uh, my dad and mother, being educators, really drilled in me academics and the uh, importance. And I didn't love football enough to really go and play it. I had the chances to play it, you know, App State and Western and and uh, some other places. And I really, um, I really, at that point, just fell in love with with baseball and the possibilities of playing that in college felt like a, a better fit for me after the after football fell kind of through. And I couldn't find a better place than. East Carolina to do that.
0: So let's talk about that. Do you remember the first contact you had with ECU baseball?
2: I do, and I was actually telling that story a couple of uh, weeks ago to my uh, some of my players that are getting starting to get recruited. And and um, I had a uh, my high school football coach. You may know him, Hal Stewart. He's a legend. Yes, uh, you know he has, he's still umpires games now, but he's he's actually really a baseball guy. He grew up, you know, playing more baseball, but he just happened to be a one of the all-time great football coaches. But he had a lot of contacts um, around in, in the Carolina baseball connection and saw me play baseball really for the first time my halfway through my junior year, really my senior year. And cause I, I, honestly, I didn't I got cut from the varsity my sophomore year. I played JV. Didn't really play much. You'll laugh at this. In my junior year, I played first base. Wow. I couldn't think of a worse place to put me at, than first base. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just—I never really got a chance to really play uh, in high school and start and play every day until my senior year. And Coach Stewart saw that and saw that I had a desire to try to play college. And he called Coach O and said, hey, look, I got an athlete here. He's 17. So I really, in today's world, I would have been redshirted and had one more year um but uh he said you know he's a, he's going to probably be your you know be your raw athlete but I'm telling you he's got the ability he's got to give him some time and coach O on his recommendation basically offered me a scholarship sight unseen uh he came and we talked one one day after a game but he didn't catch the game and then I literally showed up on campus and he didn't really know what position i played you know he's like he knew i was an athlete knew i could play based off of uh, coach stewart's recommendation so it was kind of a funny story this would, would never happen today you know you show up on campus and never seen a scholarship athlete play but coach stewart and coach joe had a great relationship and he trusted him and uh it kind of worked out for everybody
0: we're visiting with pat watkins ecu hall of famer and professional baseball player of course and Pat, you start your career at ECU, and uh, you're doing some great things, and then the 1993 season comes, and I still say it's the greatest season ever by an individual in Pirate Baseball history. I mean, your numbers are off the charts, and I tell people this all the time when we're talking about Pirate Baseball. You hit 445 for the season. You also hit 19 home runs, knocked in 57 runs. I mean, kids that play Little League Baseball don't hit 445 in a season. You did it. At the Division One level, I think it's absolutely mind-boggling. What happened that year? Why was that such a great year for
2: you? Gosh, you know, honestly, it's the it's the when everything kind of came together for me. All that athletic ability that Coach Stewart saw, that he told Coach O about, um, really, really just started to click. It was you know when I got to college the first year, I really you know started playing baseball full time, and uh, you know that first that first couple of years. Were uh, you know that learning experience, and then I went to the Shenandoah Valley uh, Summer League this summer before my my junior year, and it started to click there. Had a really good coach there, Laser Colazo. Um, he was at Miami at the time, and you know instilled some confidence in me, and had a good summer. And um, and I tell the story all the time. I actually I point back to one specific incident. If you say like, what did you what happened? What did you do? I, I would point to one specific incident, which was. I was headed to a math class, and it was January, uh, early January. It was rainy, cold outside, and I was, like most people, dreading going to practice. I was dreading it. It was like cold or rainy is not when you want to play baseball. But I had to go to this this math class first. And I came into the class a little bit, little bit late, and I uh, sat down at the table. And there was a guy across from me that was already at the table. And, um, he, and I had my ECU baseball jacket on because it was freezing outside. And he saw my jacket, and he said, you know, man, do you play baseball. And I said, Yeah, 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 I do. And uh, he said, Man, I, just, I love baseball. It's my favorite sport. And he just kept asking questions. What position do you play? When's your first game? And you could tell just the passion for baseball this guy had. And, you know, he really could tell he he loved it. And I was trying to get my work done. So I was about half, you know, kind of blowing him off, half <laughs> and answering his question. And, you know, he had finished his work before I did. And, and he said, Man, I just want to wish you good luck for this season. I'm going to try to come out and see you play. I'm excited for you guys. And I I said, thanks. And and he pushed away from the table, Jeff, and he was in a wheelchair. Wow. The entire time I had talked to him, I never saw that wheelchair. Mm. And as he left the room, it was like this watershed moment in my life where like, man, I am sitting here dreading going to practice. You know, I feel like God has blessed me with these abilities and I'm dreading going to practice. And here's a guy sat across from me with all this passion. He would give anything to roll out the there today and strike out every time sure to give anything to go out there and just play catch and here i am dreading it and so i made a point in my life right then and there i said i'm going to change i'm going to come out here and i'm going to use the gifts that i've been given and i'm just going to do it to the best of my ability i'm going to work hard and i'm going to cherish the time i get to spend on the on the baseball field and from that point on i literally i started Day one, and I, I really, when you say I hit 445, I don't even remember it getting out that many times. I, it was just one of these blur seasons where everything went right. And after the season, you know, everybody wants to know well, what you do. Would you, did you change your stance? Did you change your arm angle? Did you take steroids? You know, yeah. Obviously not. I, I was a buck 70. I said no. I changed my heart. I was like, That's the only thing I changed. And what I what I got out of that was an incredible, uh, you know, kind of view of life and, and the and the appreciation for being able to play a sport uh at that level and, and I went from literally on nobody's radar to a you know an all American in a first round draft pick. And that's not coincidence. That is that's just that's a hard change in, in my mind. So that's that's really where it started. So I love to share that story.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, Pat. That is a wonderful story. We're visiting with Pat Watkins tonight, and we are talking East Carolina baseball, and also talking uh, professional baseball. We'll get to Pat's professional baseball career in in just a moment. But let's talk about uh, you have the great year, and then uh, the professional scouts have you on the radar. Uh, do you remember what that was like, Pat? Uh, starting to talk to the major league teams.
2: Yeah, it was, it was uh it was a different experience. It was um you know, I never got that attention. Like I never you I know, mean, I got a little bit recruiting for football, but I didn't really get recruited that much for baseball. So it was it was it an was experience that I hadn't had before of just, you know, a little bit of attention. It started about a third of the way through the, the season when they start showing up a little bit, you know, more often and more often and toward the end, you know, there were whenever you know, 25, 30 scouts in the stands. Um, you know, it was a little nerve-wracking, but uh, you know, just having my parents to lean on, and, and my faith, and and just really trusting my teammates, and and we, which made it fun. You know, I was actually more excited that they were there because if you remember, that team had about six people drafted. Sure. On that team, and I and I, I loved the fact that some of those might have been seen for the first time because they were there to watch me. That that's uh, some great collateral damage there. Um, but the experience was it was bizarre. I mean, some some scouts would ask me you know, what's my, you know, what, what color are my eyes? And, um, and some of the questions that you, you get, you know, uh, they literally had one guy say, I, uh, is your girlfriend here? And I was like, yeah, she's up there on the top. Right. I said, do you mind if I introduce myself? And I was like, sure. Why though? Because, and I, I had found this out later was, uh, they, they'll look at the girlfriend to see how your confidence level is. Mm-hmm. A pretty girlfriend. They'll, they'll, they'll attribute that to, oh, okay, he's an alpha. He's a, <laughs> so, it's just like you know, the most bizarre things that they look for. But I was really, uh, I was really lucky. The guy that ended up that um, ended up drafting me uh, with the Reds used to be was a former coach at Garner, and um, he had left Garner and went to another couple of coaching places. and then got a job as a scout, and and uh, so my mother and father and I knew him uh, from the time I was probably eight years old. So the the actual process after the draft was uh, it was done with a you know a mutual friend so that was a uh, a lot more easy to to understand so
0: Pat did it. you have any idea though that you would be a first round draft pick
2: you know I, I it started started off at the beginning of the year I was probably uh, based off of my summer I was probably on a you know 30 40 round track and then uh, as the season went on I'd hear you know 15 10 10th round and then it just kind of kept getting lower and lower. I really honestly, leading into the draft, I I kind of set to my eyes, and said, look, if I go in the second round, early second round, I'd be ecstatic. And uh, got lucky in creeping through the, the bottom of the first round. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, it was a surprise when, you, you know, the, the draft starts at one, and I get a call at 125, probably, uh, that I would have been drafted. That was exciting. I knew what time it started, because it wasn't like it is today. You know, it was just, uh, there was no tv and no hoopla around it uh so the earlier i get a call from uh closer to one o'clock the, the more money i make that's kind of how i <laughs> yeah pictured it in my mind, so.
0: exactly so you sign with the reds and you start your professional baseball career you move right up the ladder pad and then in 1997 you really have a, a solid year at triple a in indianapolis you hit 280 nine home runs and uh, you get the call up uh, by the Reds in, in September. Uh, do you remember that day when they told you you were headed to the big league club?
2: Yes, I do. Like like it was yesterday. It was we actually were in Buffalo and we had lost out in the playoffs. And uh, I, I had my you know my car packed. I was headed headed home. I was headed back to Garner and and um, the Triple A coach at the time, Dave Miley, called me in the office and said, "Hey." I uh, need change of plans. You're going to the big leagues. And it was just like about 12 seconds of like, uh, what? You know, like it's just, compl- I had no idea. Uh, I thought our season was over. And they said, "Yeah, um, one of the outfielders went down and um, they need you to come, you know, to Cincinnati. So uh, there's like, you know, there's a couple of calls, like a telephone call, as you remember your life, The called to get drafted was one of them. Um, and that call that I made to my folks, my mom and dad that uh, it was cause it was like a Monday night, the game I was going to be in the game on in Cincinnati on Tuesday. I said, uh, you know, that, that call to them to say, Hey, uh, you know, I made it, I'm going to the big league, get on the, the the phone and get book two air tickets, uh, air, airline tickets and, and meet me in Cincinnati tomorrow. <laughs> you, know? <Yeah. laughs> you know, that whole thing. And, and um, you know, it was one of, the, one of my favorite calls ever and, and uh, then i got
0: the big so. so you get your feet wet in the big leagues in 97 with the september call up and then uh, you go into the 1998 season uh coming off a, a good year as we mentioned uh, in minor league baseball and you're only uh, you know in your 20s and uh 25 years old i think at that point pat uh, what what were you thinking about your future then with the reds uh, going into the season in 1998
2: you know, it was a, uh, I, I, I thought I was going to be a, the fourth or fifth outfielder, uh, you know, um, in Cincinnati that year. Going to spring training, uh, you know, I, I had a I got a September call up. I had a pretty decent Arizona fall league during winter ball, and um, and the coach I, I really liked our manager Jack McKeon at the time, and and uh, but I was I was on defense. You know, it was a lot of good talent in, in there. What I knew I could do well was play defense. I was a I was a guy that they could put in any any position in the outfield and uh and in national league that's very valuable when you have double switches and late game defensive replacements. um uh, and i started kind of locking in on the fact that you know what I, if i get hot uh i might be able to, to you know get some everyday starts but you know my role is going to be on the team i got to play defense and so i really focused on that spring training and um it was interesting when when Jack McKeon called me in the office and told me I was going to be on the opening day roster. He you know he mentioned my dedication to defense and base running and things that I could the flexibility that I could provide him uh, with his managerial changes and and you know uh, the ability to play multiple positions. But he 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 called me in and told me this story that I had forgotten about. He said I, I came to see you play because he was a, uh, like a national. Uh, Scout with the Reds before he came back over to, to to be a manager, and he said I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I saw you um, come up to the plate. There was a man on third base with less than it was one out, and he was like literally to the to the T of more information than I could have provided. He it was, it was a it was a tie ball game, bottom of the ninth, and as a man on third base, and you on your own push bunted to. You know, passed the pitcher to second base and scored a winning run uh, on your own. I know it wasn't a squeeze because it wasn't a squeeze but He said that right there. I remembered, and I said, if I ever get a chance, I want that guy right there on my team. And uh, it, it really meant something to me because that was something that I that that self unselfish baseball. How I was kind of you know born to and 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 taught to play. Started at East Carolina. We did little things and. And uh, that we would do. And uh, it really it paid off. It, it, it made the right impression on the right person and it came back uh, came back around.
0: Well, I have a similar story, Pat. I think I've relayed this to you down through the years. It was 1998 at Riverfront Stadium, and I was there watching the game that day. And you came up uh, to pinch hit against Billy Wagner. And as we all know, Billy Wagner threw like 98, 99 mile-per-hour gas, and you worked the count. I think you fouled off three or four pitches. And then you lined a solid single into center field after uh, one of his fastballs. And I said to myself at that time, Pat Watkins is a big league hitter. He can, he can really hit. Uh, do you remember that at bat at all? I know you have had had thousands of at bats, but that's the one that stands out to me.
2: Oh, I actually do remember that at bat because you know, you know, it's not every day you face somebody that's throwing a hundred miles an hour, yeah. Billy Wagner, especially from the left hand side. So I actually loved when uh, those those lefties get to come in because you know I would get a lot of a lot more at bats uh, being right handed. And uh, I do remember that specifically, the base of the middle. Uh, Yeah, I remember it very well. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I remember it too. Like it was uh, yesterday. Then Pat, uh, you get the word from the Reds that they're going to trade you to Colorado. What were your feelings then?
2: Well, it was was a wild time in my life. So back up, it was actually I got traded to the the Marlins.
0: Marlins first at the
2: beginning of yeah, the Marlins first, and it was right after my mother had gotten diagnosed with cancer. Yes, and uh, so it was like this crazy time in my life I had met my soon-to-be wife my mother had uh, just got diagnosed with with terminal brain uh, b- terminal brain tumor and I got traded all in, within the you know probably the, the three month period and uh, and so I was I was actually excited because the if you remember right that was right when the Marlins had just won the World Series just mm-hmm. the whole team so I was thinking okay that's my chance to play every day. And I, I show up at, at, at Billy Camp. My mother had just come out of surgery um, for her for her tumor. Uh, wasn't doing great. And I, and I was carrying, like, this, this big weight on my shoulders. I was like, should I even be here? What does my family need? I, you know, family was always first for me. And so I didn't have a great – I had an okay spring. And that's when I got traded. The last – like, there's two days left in camp. I got traded because Larry Walker had had hurt his knee. It was going to be out a while. So the Rockies needed an outfielder, And so they traded me to Colorado. So I, you know, at the end of spring training, had to pack all my stuff up and, and head to Colorado. So, but it was, you know, looking back on it, there's so many incredible things that happened during that time. And I, I, I love to share stories with, with, there was an article in the, uh, the paper in, in Fort, in Fort Lauderdale about my mom and I during spring training with the Marlins and John Henry who is currently the Red Sox owner? Of Liverpool. Yep. he was the owner of the Marlins at the time. You know, he's a three billion dollar hedge fund guy, and I and I, I was absolutely no nobody on his radar. But he read that article about my mother and I, her relationship as a teacher, and he came down in the locker room and introduced himself. And he said, "Hey, I, I want to you know do something for your mother. If you make the roster and opening day roster, I want to send a jet to RDU." to pick your mother and your family up and bring them and I'll host them for opening day. Wow. And I was like, wow, that is unbelievable that you would even consider doing that for a nobody like me. I was the, I would have been the 25th guy on your roster. And so it was a great life lesson you know, later on of just how you treat everybody, the ones that can help you and ones that can't help you, you know, but in the, in the moment it meant a lot, just the ability that I can possibly get my mother because she couldn't really travel commercially. And so fast forward to the end of spring training and i get traded i'm sitting in the locker room trying to figure out how i'm gonna get all my stuff to colorado got a car got you know my mom's and you know getting ready to go into her next surgery in a couple of weeks and and uh it was a lot and not even thinking about about john henry and he came down in the locker room and called me over to the side and said hey um i've already talked to the montfrey's in colorado my, my plane will be an RDU on Tuesday to pick your family up and fly them to Colorado for opening day, and Colorado will take it from there. They'll put you up in, in the hotel and suite. I've already arranged everything. Now, I mean, like, the words, as he come out of his mouth, I really couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like, what a incredible blessing this guy has laid on my family. And so, sure enough, I got pictures. Uh, my, there's a G, G4 in an RDU, picked my whole family up, brought them to Colorado, opening day so the last you know really the last major league baseball game my mother ever got to see me play was because of john henry and that little bit of time that spent with the marlins you know it was it was all was very purposeful and uh you know so it's, yeah it was a crazy crazy time
0: yeah another great story pat uh, you hit two career home runs in the big leagues do you remember both of them
2: i do yeah i do the first one was off of uh jerry spradlin and I'm sitting here actually looking at the ball in my office right now <laughs> it was uh, it was the bottom of the eight and uh, it, was a, it was a home it was a homer to put us ahead it was in uh, 1998 I think it was right around April May and um, he was their closer at times so it was a, it was a big hit I do remember it, it you know it did go into stands but I had like three people bring me balls after the game really like, they were fans. Saying, "Hey, I got your home run ball. You want to trade it for a, you know, a jersey or a bat or cash?" And I'm like, "I'm, I'm literally, literally holding the ball because the, the ground screw went and got it because it never made it to the stands. It barely made it over the fence. So <laughs> I got the home run ball. It's crazy how, you know, first example of fans trying to do something crazy. But uh, the second one was in Florida, and uh, it was Pro Player Stadium at the time. Now it's uh, Hard Rock." and uh it was off of a knuckleball pitcher and uh a, actually a left-handed knuckleball pitcher named kurt ogula mm-hmm. and he hung, he hung one and i put one in the upper deck in uh in florida
0: yeah yeah well let's let's talk about some of the guys that you played with coming up through the reds organization there's a guy who manages the new york yankees now that you played with i know in indianapolis of course we're talking about aaron boone what do you remember about aaron and maybe some of the other guys you came up with in the organization
2: yeah. I mean Aaron's one of my one of my best friends he you know he was in my wedding and talked to him uh multiple times over the last couple of weeks because of his uh his pacemaker yes in and and um you know so Aaron became a great friend uh great baseball family um and I actually had him on my my we had a virtual Christmas party with all my my partners in my at, at where I work now and he came on as our special guest and we just Went back through memory lane and telling funny stories, and, and cause I wanted my team to hear what kind of a human being Aaron Boone is, not just that the, he's the Yankees manager. Yeah, that's cool. He gets the probably one of the top three uh, best coaching jobs in the world, um, but he is a, a as good a human being as you ever be around. I mean, he's got two great uh, biological children, but he nobody, a lot of people don't know this. He adopted two uh, orphans from Haiti he's wow. so got four children now um, just uh incredible human being um, and, uh, and he's just one of many there's well you really you, you get to in the baseball community you get to really learn and, and invest in people and and um, him and Sean Casey was you know he was in my wedding just another great human being funny uh, we played against each other in, in college I mean, if you remember my junior year I I I hit 445 but if you look back through the the stack rank of the CAA that year, Sean Casey was right behind me, like four twenty. Yeah, freshman.
0: Yeah, at Richmond. Yeah,
2: so, uh, he was a yeah. He was a spider. He'd always say, "Don't get caught in the web, Pat."
0: The web. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a yeah. funny guy. We we enjoy him on MLB TV, and uh, Pat, uh, we'll wrap things up with you now, and let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're up to these days. You've already mentioned uh, your family, but uh, tell us a little more about your family and uh, what you're doing professionally.
2: Yeah, my family. I'm still married to my beautiful wife, Anna. Uh, it's been 22 years. Um, I'm just – my, my I coaches, when I they first met her back in the day, I'm like, there's no way she said yes in person. You had to have gotten married over the phone. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just lucky she's here when I get home every day, I'm telling you. Uh, and I have three children. I have a 16-year-old son uh, named Jackson. He's a football-baseball guy. Uh, Loves football probably a lot more than baseball. He's a good good at both. He's a center fielder, switch hitter. Um, what he does that, that, that I can't do is he can really run. And, um, and he's a better, he's probably a better outfitter than him. I, I probably hit better at this point in my career, but he's got speed, which is why he likes football so much, because he, he's a wide out. Um, and so he loves to work with like Tyler Schneed and we, you know, we work out with him a lot. And, uh, um, I have a daughter named Brooke, who's 14. She's a volleyball player, incredible athlete. You know, just a sweet heart of a girl. She's she's awesome, uh, funny. And then we had a little extra blessing come along in my life. I have a f- almost five year old little boy named Wes, and um, he completed our family. He is a uh, a handful, but left handed. Everything he does is left handed. I'm not know. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, Jeff. I, don't, I, I mean. I guess there's only about four or five positions you can play yeah. left-handed. Uh, so I'm going to have to learn how to, to, to raise a lefty. But um, just a fun pull of life, love him, um, complete our family, brings the energy and chaos into our lives that we never knew we, we needed <laughs> until we had it. So uh, so I'll have one graduate, and then I get to go all the way back to the beginning and do it all over again with another boy. So well, yeah. <laughs> I'll be I'll be the 65-year-old dad out there watching
0: (laughs) this. Exactly. Well, Pat, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. We have really enjoyed it. And the wonderful contribution you made to ECU's baseball program and the university. You've always carried yourself in a first-class manner. One of the great guys to ever come through this athletics program, a pro's pro. We appreciate your your time here and appreciate the visit today. Uh, Thanks so much.
2: Oh, absolutely anytime, Jeff. And um, just glad to, to get to talk to uh, to you and and Pirate Nation. They're always a special place in my heart for you guys. So.
1: That's ECU Hall of Famer Pat Watkins and that's another great episode of the pirate radio podcast with the voice jeff charles and his special guest ecu baseball hall of famer pat Watkins. special thanks to our sponsor white claw hard seltzer look for white claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping white claw hard seltzer is available in five fruit flavors has two grams of carbs and is gluten-free and only has 100 calories nothing tastes quite like it We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple Store. You can also visit our website at pr927fm.com. And you can follow us on social media at pr927fm to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone.
0: You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.